This is Perspective, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condice Presley. Our guest today is Katie Lang. Katie is a genetic counselor and coordinator of Northside Hospital Cancer Institute's Cancer Genetics Program. In that, and she's gonna tell us a lot more about it, she meets with patients to discuss the power of genetic testing as a way to learn more about your hereditary cancer risk. And Katie, thanks for coming in and being with us on the program. Thanks so much for having me. So are there certain cancers that are more hereditary than others? Obviously, breast cancer comes to mind. There are. Um, generally speaking, we say that only about 5 to 10% of cancers are hereditary, which means the vast majority of cancers are not hereditary. So we hear a lot out in the world about family history of cancer and things like that. So there's many factors that can increase an individual's risk for certain types of cancer, family history being one. But overall, only a small percentage of people actually have an inherited strong risk for cancer. And However, who, okay. we want to know who those people are because we can help them either prevent or reduce those risks for cancer. So typically, who are those people who fall in that 5 to 10%? So typically, they are people with cancers diagnosed at unusually young ages. So that doesn't mean any, any young person with a cancer. What that really means is people with a cancer, say, like breast cancer, for example, when the average age of developing breast cancer is usually in the 60s for a woman. But if a woman develops breast cancer in her 30s or 40s, that's much younger than normal. So that would be a red flag for somebody with a possible genetic risk. So you can generally use that rule of thumb for things like colon cancer as well, um, uterine cancer. So certain types of cancer that happen at unusually young ages is always one red flag. Um, an additional red flag, which people are more familiar with usually, is a strong family history. So what we mean by that is if we see the same type of cancer in multiple relatives, so three or four women in a family who develop breast cancer, and that doesn't necessarily mean sisters. That can be a grandmother, an aunt, a sister. So it doesn't all have to be, you know, all in one generation. It can be in multiple generations. Or sometimes we look at a grouping of cancers that we know can be linked to the same gene. So for example, most people are familiar with the BRCA1 and BRCA2 or BRCA genes. Um, so those have the misnomer of being called breast cancer genes. That's not actually right. Those genes can certainly increase a woman's risk for breast cancer, but they also can cause ovarian cancer, prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer. There's some emerging data that maybe they can increase someone's risk for melanoma. They can cause breast cancer in men. So to just call them breast cancer gene doesn't really capture um, a lot of those families that maybe don't even have breast cancer. Maybe they have prostate cancer and ovarian cancer. Well, those are families that are at high risk for one of these same BRCA genetic mutations and that we would want to see in clinic to evaluate. So someone who has a history of, of breast cancer, strong family history of breast cancer, and perhaps would go through the genetic testing to determine if they have that BRCA gene, you're saying that there are other people for whom that same testing would be greatly beneficial? Absolutely. So it's not just about breast cancer. It's really about letting your doctors know what types of cancer are in your family and how old people were when they were diagnosed with those cancers. And there's lots of tools out there that people at home or doctors can use to sort of plug in those family histories and see if they actually meet what we call criteria for genetic testing. 
Um, so because most cancers are not hereditary, you know, most people are not going to meet those criteria. But again, we want to identify those families so that we can help prevent things like ovarian cancer um, from happening when we find out that a woman has a high risk. Talk to me more about that criteria that mm-hmm. would make someone a better candidate, a strong candidate for genetic testing. Sure. So typically the criteria look at the ages of onset of cancer and then the types of cancer. So again, it's not just about, you know, breast cancer in the family. Some people might answer, no, I have no family history of breast cancer, but it turns out they have ovarian cancer in a close relative, and that alone would make them meet the criteria. So the criteria get kind of complicated because there's many different types of cancer that could be running in families that make people eligible. So going back to your question earlier that we focus a lot on breast and genetics, but actually ovarian is one of the most likely cancers to be hereditary, about 25% of all ovarian cancers are due to something inherited. And that is a cancer that we can prevent in future generations if we know about that risk. Um, Colon cancer can be hereditary. Melanoma can be hereditary. Um, Pancreatic cancer can be hereditary. So all, really every type of cancer is gonna have some small percentage of people for whom they develop that due to something genetic. And we wanna be able to find those people. And usually the ideal way of doing that is to test the person in the family who has the cancer diagnosis, and then we can help their siblings and their nieces and nephews and their children kind of downstream from that. A minute ago, you mentioned close relatives. Mm -hmm. Parents, obviously. Are we talking parents, siblings? How far out does the definition of close? It's a great question. We use the term third degree. So a third degree relative it would include first cousins. So we say first, second, third degree. So close family can mean anybody from aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, siblings, nieces, nephews, children. So it includes a lot of people. That's a pretty big circle. It's a pretty big circle. And it all matters because those criteria I mentioned include things like first cousins. So if you have a first cousin with ovarian cancer and another first cousin with breast cancer, that could make you eligible for an evaluation with us to talk about genetic testing. So it doesn't have to be a direct parent, um, which can feel can be tricky to, for some people to to understand or feel like they're at risk when it wasn't a, a direct relative to them. But the tricky thing about these genes is they don't always cause cancer in the people that carry the mutations in them. So for example, if a father is carrying a BRCA mutation, he very well may never develop cancer because of that mutation. He might have some slightly higher risks than other men, but his daughter could be at high risk for breast and ovarian cancer, but never know it unless the father has the genetic testing because maybe his mother had ovarian. So it can get a little tricky. And father's sides, if you're a female, sometimes women are told that only they're only asked about their maternal history, and that is not correct. Your father's side matters just as much. All of us inherit half of our genes from both parents. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. You got half of your genes from your dad and half of your genes from your mom. So you have an equal chance of inheriting some kind of genetic risk from either parent. And so sometimes we aren't asked about, you know, people are asked, did your mom have breast cancer, but not did your father's sister have breast cancer or did your grandmother have cancer So or grandfather for that matter. So all relatives matter, not just relatives that are the same gender as you. That's very important. That's very important. And and one of the probably the most 
common reasons people are missed is because they're not fully asked about their family history, which is a very simple thing to do. And probably one of the most important components of a visit to your physician, making sure you provide the detailed family history and filling out all those forms. Did you have this? Did you have that? And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, how long is it going to take me to get into the exam room? But this sets up the physician to ask you all of the proper follow-up questions, right? Exactly right. And to share that information when you learn it. You know, to call that aunt and say, did you have breast cancer 20 years ago? I remember you going through something because not everybody shares when they have are going through a diagnosis. Sometimes it's a very private experience. Sometimes it was a long time ago and people kind of don't want to think about it. But these days, those family history details can really impact someone's eligibility for these very important tests. So it can be difficult to have those conversations, and we respect family members' privacy. But, you know, when we ask about your aunt, we don't need to know her name. We just need to know, did she have breast cancer, and would she be willing to share any details about that diagnosis with you or, again, or an uncle? And, you know, we don't always know about all these histories. But to be the person in a family that can help gather that information, and maybe it's over time. Thanksgiving is actually National Family History Day, according to the CDC. So you know, a time to maybe bring these things up. And they're not always easy, but these days they can really make a huge difference for families. And for when we compile these family histories, we take what's called a pedigree with every patient. So we ask about every single one of these relatives, whether they've had cancer or not. And we basically draw their entire family tree out, mom's side and dad's side. We'll go into great great aunts and uncles if they know it. Sometimes people, you know, have all that. Second cousins, people know all that. Most people don't, which is fine. Um, but we draw out their entire pedigree so we can really properly assess their their risk for these certain genetic mutations. This is going to sound like an oversimplified question, but Katie, what is the difference between the type of genetic testing that's provided at the Northside Cancer Northside Hospitals Cancer Institute versus the commercials we see on TV <laughs> about ways that you can have your DNA tested to find out? A, where you fit in your family tree, and then finding those other relatives, but then also, okay, I shouldn't eat this, I'm at risk of that. Thank you for asking. That's a great question that we're getting more and more these days, of course, because of all these commercials we see on TV. So on one hand, there is ancestry testing, you know, that tells you where in the world your faraway relatives came from. That doesn't really have any health implications. So You don't really need to consult with any kind of medical provider when you're doing that testing. It's educational. We also say take all those things with a grain of salt that, you know, no genetic test is perfect. So if it doesn't say you're French when you thought you were French, you still might be French. (laughs) So those tests are not, you know, the end all and be all, but they're more kind of for interest in education. But there are other tests that we see commercials for that offer, um, quote unquote, health information. And those are tests where even if you read the fine print of those companies, they say, you know, before you take any action based on this test result, you should really meet with a genetics expert to go over this because the technology that they use in those tests is vastly different than the technology of the tests that we use. They're not really even comparable. So when you come and get a test with us, it is an intensely detailed, extraordinarily thorough, very high tech test. Um, And we are actually sequencing genes that are known to play a role in in disease. That is not what happens with those other tests, which 
ironically, is actually why they're able to do them without a medical provider involved because they're sort of considered more information and not really supposed to be used in healthcare decision making, which you don't always get from the commercials. Um, so we always want to caution people, you know, both ways that if you have a concern based on your family history, based on your personal medical history that you think could be due to genes, and you have done one of those tests, you're not quite done yet to really seek out someone like a genetic counselor to sit down with you, take this thorough history, take a thorough medical history, and make sure that there isn't a, I don't want to say real, but a, you know, more what we call a clinical grade genetic test that could give you answers that the tests you had at home really wouldn't have covered. Um, and the reverse is true, that if you get a result from one of those tests that might be a surprise or you're concerned about, please seek out a genetic counselor because we understand completely the testing that you've had, whether that's enough, whether we should confirm it, because some of those tests need to be confirmed. They actually do some small amount of BRCA testing in the at-home at tests, um, but they only look at three specific mutations in the BRCA1 and 2 genes. There's thousands of mutations in the BRCA1 and 2 genes. So if you do the at-home version, you are not BRCA negative. You are negative for a handful of mutations. You very well could be positive for a different mutation, or you could be positive for a mutation in a different gene that you weren't tested for. So it's a sort of it's a incomplete test from our perspective if somebody is very concerned. If you're just doing it, taking it with a grain of salt, not really going to act upon it, just curious, there's nothing wrong with doing them. Um, but if you're seeking medical information, we would prefer that you come and meet with us so we can walk you through the testing that you had. We're talking to Katie Lang. She's a genetic counselor and coordinator of Northside Hospital Cancer Institute's Cancer Genetics Program. Why, Katie, is counseling with someone like you, a genetics counselor, important before you actually do the testing? We think it's important for a couple of reasons. So one, um, there's many different types of tests out there. We just sort of covered that a little bit, but there's also a lot of different laboratories. This is a very, um, it's an exploding area, genetic testing. So we always want to make sure that if people are getting testing, they're getting good testing for the correct genes. You know, one of our little taglines is the right test for the right person at the right time, that we want to make sure patients are being thoroughly evaluated. Um, another, I think, tremendous value that we add that primarily patients always appreciate from the feedback we get is that we help their entire family. So to me, when you sit down with me, I'm now trying to help your whole family because sometimes the person in front of us might be bringing that family to our attention, meaning we look at the family and we say, yes, you know, there definitely is something unusual going on here. But actually, the person we might want to test first is your, you know, aunt in Pittsburgh or your uncle in St. Louis. And we actually will help other family members access genetic testing because strangely, that can actually be more beneficial to somebody. Because I said earlier, we ideally want to test the person with the cancer because it's almost like solving the puzzle that we want to know, was that cancer hereditary? If the answer is no, then we might not need to do additional genetic testing for the rest of the family um, and spare that expense and time and all of that. Um, so when we evaluate people, we are looking at their whole family and maybe helping people that never no one ever mentioned to them that you're a good candidate for testing. So we're really looking at the family. 
Um, and the other piece is there's a ton of misunderstandings about genetic testing that you can lose your health insurance if you have testing, that it's going to cost you a lot of money that's not covered by insurance, that if you do find something positive, that the follow-up surgeries or management isn't covered by insurance, that it's somehow elective. And that's not, none of those things are true, thankfully. So you cannot um, lose your insurance correct. by opting for genetic your counseling health and insurance. your health insurance. Yes. Thank you for the clarification. Yes. So there, unfortunately, is a loophole. So there's a federal law called GINA. It's the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. It was passed back in 2008. Um, and one of the and that says you can't lose your health insurance or be fired by your employer if you undergo genetic testing or based on your family history. Unfortunately, it doesn't technically cover life insurance and long-term disability. So that's another thing that particularly if we're meeting with a young patient who doesn't have cancer but is concerned about their family history, we might say, you know, maybe this isn't the right time for testing because, you know, you don't have life insurance yet, or maybe there's a better person in the family to test and you don't really need genetic testing right away. So we want people to be approaching these things thoughtfully with all the information. Um, and so, yeah, so the insurance question is a common one about cost and about whether they can lose their insurance from testing. And would you talk a little bit more about the misconception relative to cost? Absolutely. So these tests are covered by the vast majority of insurances between private, Medicare, Medicaid. If you are evaluated by a genetic counselor and we feel that you meet these criteria like we talked about earlier, it's a very well covered, which people are surprised to hear, which is a good thing. Um, there's also very generous financial assistance options with a lot of the labs that are out there. So if people have high deductibles and other concerns, um, almost always we can get testing done for them. And in addition, now there are what are called self-pay options, which can be as low as $250, where you don't even go through insurance and a patient just pays directly. And that doesn't make it easy for everybody, but a good number of people might just opt for that where they don't even go through their insurance company. So there's many, many different options for testing. Um, and I think another reason why people might opt for the at-home test is that they think it's the same and I'm, I, this is a lower cost where really you can get these very high-grade, very robust tests for far less than I think people. Katie, walk us through the patient experience, someone who who perhaps has taken one of these at-home tests and was surprised by something in the results mm -hmm. and decides to opt for a more clinical evaluation with someone like you. Sure. Um, so the first thing we do with every patient is collect that family history, like I mentioned. Um, a lot of patients, when they schedule with us, we give them a little homework and we send them some paperwork with requesting family history information because um, that makes the appointment much more valuable to them when they arrive with kind of those questions answered. Um, and then we talk about it. You know, we, we provide what we call a risk assessment at that point. And then we say, okay, based on X, Y, and Z in your family history, we would be suspicious for these genes or this set of genes. Um, and here's what would happen if we tested you for those genes. Some of these genes have very clear what we call management recommendations. So a lot of people are familiar with Angelina Jolie's story where she went through a risk-reducing double mastectomy. So she did not have cancer, but she decided to opt for that surgery to prevent breast cancer. Um, so that is a path that some people take. For other people, the outcome of testing would be just more close watching, maybe starting certain types of screening 
in their 30s, maybe getting colonoscopies in their 30s instead of waiting until 50. So we kind of talk about what would actually change for you if you tested positive for some of these genes. And one of the biggest things we talk about these days are sort of the gray areas in genetics, meaning that we're able to test for a whole bunch of genes. We can test for plus 80 plus genes now in one single test. Um, but a lot of those genes we don't know as much about, meaning that they're more newly discovered. So there aren't always clear management recommendations. So some people that doesn't bother them at all, they want to know as much as they can, they want this big test, even if we can't really give them clear-cut risks once we get the results. For other people, they might want to steer clear of results that are very gray and would rather stick to what we call the higher-risk genes. Um, so again, that's all part of the counseling is making sure the person is getting the test that is most beneficial to them, but also one that is most appropriate based on the information that they're seeking out. Um, we then will usually take the sample. It's a saliva sample. People just spit in a tube. It can be done on blood, but it doesn't have to be. Um, we mail it off, and then we meet with them again a couple weeks later to go over the actual results of what we found. And that's when we tell them, you know, it's completely normal or there's something positive, meaning we actually found some kind of risk. And, of course, that's a very long conversation in a lot of cases. Um, sometimes we get inconclusive results, which is just kind of a normal, I call annoying part of genetics, where we don't always get a crystal clear yes or no. Um, but that's usually our the end of our role is um, is the results disclosure. And then all of that goes back to their doctor to sort of continue their care, even though we're always available to speak with patients. But it's typically the two visits with genetics. And then your doctor kind of takes back over with this new information to help you make a plan of what to do next. Does it take a long time to get an appointment to see a counselor? It sure doesn't. It really depends um, on the situation. So if a patient's newly diagnosed with cancer and really needs this for treatment, we can get them right in. But otherwise, it's usually just a couple weeks to get in. What else should people know about genetic testing and the benefits of it versus the many misconceptions that you've already shared? Yeah. I mean, I think the important thing to know is that it is far more widely available than people think. Um, but unless you meet with somebody who really does this every day and has a lot of expertise, there's a lot of risk of misinterpretation. Um, so there's been lots and lots of studies on people that are not really counseled appropriately based on their genetic test result, having either surgeries that maybe they did not need or the opposite, not getting recommendations that they should have gotten based on their risk. So it's a pretty niche area um, and it's all we do all day, every day. So we are always happy to meet with people, including people that may have had testing in the past and never met with a genetic counselor. There's no, there's no, we, ne we never decline a referral. If somebody wants to talk to us, we are always going to talk to them, even if they're not ready for testing either. Um, some people might not know if they're ready and they're great people for us to meet with because our job is not to convince anybody to do testing. I am, I've done my job just as well if a person leaves without testing, as long as you know I'm evaluating them properly, giving them all their options, walking them through what feels right for them. And plenty of people say, you know what, I don't think this is the right time or thank you, I'm not really interested. And that's okay. Our job isn't to test the whole world. Our job is to provide people with 
accurate, up-to-date information about genetics and help them decide what's right for them and their family. Is this service available only at Maine Northside that people think about, or do you have lots of places where folks can we, see someone like you? We are available lots of places. So we are in um, Alpharetta, Holly Springs, Canton, Stockbridge, um, I'm probably forgetting, Forsyth, all the places Northside is, <laughs> we usually are there. Um and if people just either call us or email us, we will help them find the closest location to them. But it is absolutely not just available in Atlanta. If someone listening wants more information, how would you suggest we get that information? Usually the fastest way is to email us, which is just genetics at northside.com. They can call, which is 404-851-6284. They are welcome to just call with just with questions um, and ask to speak with a genetic counselor. We're always happy to do that. Um, or if they want to, see, to be seen by us, we do need a physician referral. But if they want to call, we're always happy to help them get that referral as well. Katie Lang, thanks so much. Thank you. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter. Or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.